And I asked him straight up because I was curious. I was like, have you ever dated outside of your race? Ugh, I can't. If you would have asked me that question, I would be out, out. Welcome to Unprovoked Tangents, the podcast. Where our topics have a focus, but, but our, our tangents, tangents don't. don't. Tune in weekly as we discuss life, love, fashion, politics, and so much more. Danny. Jen. We meet again. I mean. The fifth time. Through the wonderful internet tools that we have available to us. Unfortunately, not in person, but we're making the best of this, as is everybody else, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I was saying in my yoga class today that, you know, a connection doesn't have to be physical in order to be felt. So hearts to you. Are you rocking like a Chicago Bulls hat? Are we celebrating and honoring this documentary that's about to come out with uh, Coach Phil and Michael Jordan, which is getting a lot of hype right now? Like it's a little crazy. I am looking forward to it. Um, It's something that I'm a little apprehensive about because who knows what the angle is going to be. I feel like they're going to tarnish him a little bit, but who knows? We'll see. It was a 98 season. It's when they let cameras follow around the team everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So So we'll see. Have Um, you been watching anything lately, though? Yeah. Over the past weekend, I decided to rewatch and binge watch Love is Blind, which is my new favorite show. So (laughs) I know I spoke about this on earlier episodes, but to break it down for the listeners, so if case if anyone hasn't seen it and if you haven't seen it i mean it's a number one show right now on netflix next to tiger king as we know um but the whole thing the whole premise behind this show is basically like these 15 men and 15 women go on this dating show they don't see what any of the other people look like and they go into what they call these pods right this whole thing called pods and they basically have to foster a relationship with this other person without even seeing them, right? So it's an interesting concept because you don't have just like a bunch of white people on there and a bunch of black people on there. It's like black, white, Spanish, like the whole mix. So it's interesting because they're building this foundation of a relationship um, through these pods. They don't know what each other looks like. They don't know their culture, their background, so on and so forth. And then the only way that they can actually meet each other in person is if they propose to one another in the pods so the first time that you meet them you are meeting as an engaged couple and then you have a month to figure out whether you want to marry this person or not and you blend your life so it's crazy but i have to say my favorite couple on the entire show is lauren and cameron so lauren is this like beautiful vivacious like funny charming black girl originally from Detroit. She moved to Atlanta and she's dating this white guy named Cameron who is from Maine, you know, very tall, very good looking. But what I found interesting was like this guy that came from Maine has dated black women before. His last relationship was with a woman for five years, was with a black woman. And Aren't there Lauren, only like, like, th- like 3% uh, or not even, I don't even think that much uh, in Maine. Um, who are who are black 
um, residents of Maine. I don't, I feel like their, po- their population is relatively small in Maine. Relatively small. Right. But I think like, I think he moved to Atlanta and was dating this like ah. past, he was dating this woman for the past five years after he moved to Atlanta, you know, cause Atlanta, you know, we got a, we got our brown sugar down there. Use nose. I mean, so, facts. facts, all the way facts. facts. So, and Lauren, this was the first time in her whole entire life that she's dated a white guy. And she was like, I don't know anything much about the culture. Um, And the biggest, (laughs) and I love this one episode and sorry to go off on this tangent, but I love this one episode where um, Lauren's father met Cameron and she was like, holy shit. My father is like ultra black, you know, black fist way up. And he's going to meet my husband or my fiance who is a white man. So it's just, a, it's a great episode, it's but I have to- It's not going to last. It, it, no, I, I, don't say on. that. People do this stuff for the TV. I mean, we, we, no. we live in a society where we love to watch these relationship shows where uh, love is blind or or the the overnight husband one where they people- Married they, at they, first sight. Yeah, they're married at first sight. And yeah. um, it's like we're waiting for, like people, I feel like the majority, people aren't going into watching these for, for love, I think. They're going into for waiting for that train wreck moment to happen. And the people on these shows are there to bait it out as long as possible so they can have this, this social exposure. I don't see it lasting. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite comical, but maybe it will be. I mean, who knows? But my first question to them and, and, and most people in this situation is, I don't think people really get to know the person until it's not until it's too late until like it's mad deep in the relationship and they don't have the conversations because it's all a honeymoon stage you date somebody it's all you're you're dating to get to that point where you get physical and then you're getting physical and you're going on vacations and you're fluffing through the relationship motions and everything's wonderful you're not having the conversations with your significant other when there's a protest let's say for um, you know, Black Lives Matter and Cameron and, and Lauren um, are not having this conversation in the first month because they're walking on eggshells. They don't want to have these conversations um, that are so heavy to disrupt the fluffy, fun relationship that they're having. And that, that you know, it's a great point. Kind of like I want to talk to you about this, um, Jen, because I think that we, we tend to love when we see people in interracial relationships or mm-hmm. people who date between ethnicities or inter-ethnic dating, I think that it becomes a, is a, uh, a way for through the looking glass for us to look at us as a culture, humanity as a culture moving forward. Right. I don't think we have honest conversations about it. I don't think even the people within those dating scenarios have honest conversations about it. They're just hoping that love is blind and will get them through those motions of humanity. And they'll be able to live happily ever after for the next 10 to 15 years without touching on anything that truly makes that other person feel like they are being seen. Uh, right. so love may be blind, but that doesn't mean you're blind, right? That doesn't mean you shouldn't see the person that you're dating and for who they are. So what do you think is your interpretation or your experience of what inter- interracial dating looks like uh, on your end and for the listeners too, like what did your experience there or what do you think or, or, or do you think it's something that's a recipe for success, disaster, or it doesn't matter because love is blind and as long as you love each other. 
Yeah. So I would definitely say like, I am a product of an interracial relationship. So my great grandmother, um, on my grandmother's side was black. Her name was Bright McQueen. Hey, hey, hey. And, and my great grandfather was Irish. And this is probably back in like 1910. Right. So they, and they had 11 kids between them. So not only were they having to foster this relationship, one, she being a black woman, my grandfather, my great grandfather being a white man in the early 1900s and also having to raise 11 children. They, they weren't like making a lot of money back then. So they were not only dealing with their hard finances, but also dealing with the fact that it wasn't really acceptable or even closely, it was almost like outlawed to be dating someone outside of your race back then. Um, so, so I, I understand that that was a big piece of what kind of brought up my grandmother and how she grew up. And then, of course, it transitioned to me. And personally, you know, I dated in and out of my race. Um, I mean, I kind of broke the rules. Listeners, I'm so sorry. Please don't tell the CDC I did this. But I kind of went on a little bit of a, of a quarantine date outside in the park. I know, so crazy. Um, and, and the guy that I went on a date with, uh, he is white and he's very much, you know, understanding about the black culture. He is very into just having deep discussions. And I never felt once that he was looking at me saying, Oh, she's the black girl that I'm dating. Like he's just looking at me saying, okay, she's Jennifer. I'm getting to know her. Um, so I dated in and out of my race all the time. I would definitely say for me, not because I'm looking at it statistically, but for me, I've had a little bit more success in dating black men than I have with white men. I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I have to say for me now in my 30s, I think the key thing that's important to me when I do date outside of my race is the fact that whoever I'm dating, whether they could be white, they could be Spanish, they could be Indian, they could be whatever, they have to understand my, the culture because the culture is what shapes who I am. Yep. I'm a black woman who is educated, who was raised by a Jamaican father and a mom who's from the South. Like all of that shapes who I am and shapes my views on the world. So I feel like when guys are like, I don't really see color, you're just a person. I'm kind of like, then are you kind of lowering who I am and how I see the world? Are you really like you to your great point? Are you really seeing me? Are you really hearing me? Are you really embracing me? And how deep do you want to dive into the culture? Because if you're falling in love with me, you also have to embrace my culture, right? And the conversation is very circular for me because see me, see the person, but date the person, not the race, right? right? So I think we need to clarify a few points. So oftentimes we talk about interracial datings and, and nine times out of 10, when people even mention that phrase interracial dating, they're talking about black people dating white people. They're not right. talking about black people dating Asian people. They're not talking about white people dating Asian people. There's never been a moment where any of my friends who are, or myself when I was dating an Asian woman, somebody said to me, oh, you're an interracial relationship. That never happens. It's only when mm -hmm. you dated strictly black and white. Now, right. similar to you, I went my whole life dating in and out of my race, in and out of my ethnicity for a lot of reasons. And I've never looked at somebody that I was going to date as a type. And 
that really frustrates me oftentimes when I go on dates. A lot of people who are not white will ask me very coded questions. What is your type? Have you, do you have experience dating people who are thicker? Like very mm. weird questions that are very race centric questions, which irk me beyond belief because I don't reverse those questions. And I've never said, have you dated uh, men who have uh, white penises? Or um, like, how do you feel about <laughs> circumcised well, that, penises? And uh, well, I'm you... glad you brought that up because, like, I mean, hey, we're under quarantine. I have to say, I've had like a couple of virtual dates. I also think because like we're locked up, so obviously everyone's like looking to connect. So I can't say like, yo, I'm racking up these virtual dates out here. You know, I right. can't say that. But I remember I was talking to um, another guy this past week, and he is originally from Holland. He lives in New York and I asked him straight up because I was curious. I was like, have you ever dated outside of your race? I wasn't going to dance around. I know. I know. I know. You're I like, can't. you're the people like, you would have asked me that question. I would be out, out. I well, can't deal with that. I know. Well, let me give you his answer. Go, Cause I it. was like, I know you're like, you're getting so angry. I want to be like getting angry. Danny's getting angry. Um, but no, no so I, check this. <laughs> I was dating a girl and she asked me that on the second date. She was asking me very coded questions and I did not go on a third date with her. I was done. And I, she was beautiful and she was great. I was, but she fetishized herself to me. Anyway. Well, let me. Well, let me tell you the answer that he gave. And it was one word. It was one word. And he said, oh, exclusively. And I said, oh. So the way that your eyebrow was raising, my eyebrows rose real quick. I was like, oh, expand upon that. Yeah, but that's that's kind of worse. That means he fetishizes it. Like well, exclusively. I, I'm like exclusively. That means you're that means you're you see the race, which is great. Kudos to you. Right. But then that means you're targeting that. And and which is fine. I mean, people do that and people target something that they find preferences. They, they target what they find attractive, right? Thank you. So that's what he said. Like he said, it's a preference of mine. He says, and this is his great analogy and I have to give him props for it, even though I probably will never talk to him again. I have to give him props for it. He said, look, if there was a beauty pageant, right? And there are three finalists, one okay. of which, two of which are white and the other finalist is a black woman. They're all beautiful. They're all super smart. They've gone to the final round. My preference would be to say like, oh, the black woman is the most prettiest to me, to me. Okay. And I was like, I was like, claps to that. I was like, let me give you an applause. And then I got like super hot. I need to get a cup of water. And then I contained the conversation because I was like, that was the hottest shit I ever heard in my entire life. Because the way that he made the analogy, he says, I'm not ignoring that other people that are not black are not gorgeous. Like they're beautiful women in any different race. He's just, my preference happens to be black women. And yep. I was like, thank you for saying that because he just didn't stop at saying I date them exclusively, which I can understand it, it going into the thought process of, oh, he fetishizes. But yeah. him giving the analogy to say there's beautiful women everywhere, I just find that black women are the most beautiful. I was like, kudos to you. So he left it there and I thought that was a really great response. But the reason why I ask it, and I'll give you my my take on why I ask it. because Do it. Because I, I know you're like, you get it hyped. You're like, why do you do it? Why do you do it, Jen? The reason why is because for me, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is if this is the first time of them dating someone out of their race, 
I do know that there has to be a sense of like a learning curve, which means there's a little bit more forgiveness that needs to happen in the front end. What do I, what do I mean? There might be a lot of explanation about like how my, how the culture is, right? Like there might be a lot of explanation of why, you know, Southern black people do this because I was raised by a Southern black woman, right? There's a certain way that Jamaicans do this and I have to then explain that. Um, so it, it just gives me a sense of how much I need to basically explain about my culture, right? right? So that's number one. And number two, if the person has dated outside of their race and it was a serious relationship to the point where they got to like the meeting the parent stage, now I understand that the parents have basically said, okay, my son is dating a black girl. This is, there's no shock value to it. Because I always think about that in the back of my mind. Yeah, the guy that I'm dating may be comfortable with it, but who knows if the parents are comfortable with it. And, but who and cares? What, well, you, I you mean, be surprised. I, I say that you very, very liberally, surprised. who cares? But uh, only because I say who cares for a reason. Um, it brings me back. I was like 16 or 17. I was 17, maybe. And I was a senior. And no, I was, I don't know. I was 16. It was high school. And I was having a conversation with my dad and this is, I was very, you know, deep in the culture. Right. So I I only listened to like rap music. I I, I dressed a certain way. My pants were sagging. I wore big Mm -hmm. gold chains. Like I was deep and I was, and I, but I wasn't like masquerading. This was me. This was my lifestyle. Right. My right. dad used to have a problem with it, as all parents would. I would walk by. He would tell me stuff like, pick up your pants. Um, Naturally. You know, stuff like that. There was a time where, where he would say it so often that, you know, it was almost like I, I got to a point where I was just like, Psh, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. however, this one time we were walking, we were at this farmhouse in Queens and I'm walking past. Them got, wait, t- time out. Y'all got a farmhouse? Like, There's a farmhouse in Queens. No joke. It's, what? It's, it's, it's the... Little Neck Farmhouse, yo, they have festivals there. There's obviously animals and all that stuff. There's like during Halloween, there's like uh, the whole pumpkin patch and the corn maze. And yeah, it's on Little Neck Parkway in Queens. I have to, you know what? And this is when like the listeners at this point who are from Queens are like, how are you from Queens that you don't know that, Jen? Like I'm totally getting condemned by them. They're totally like burning my photo in the backyard and cursing me out to to see. I don't know. (laughs) But possible possibilities but yes go so ahead. i'm walking Back past him and mm-hmm. again like i've heard it a million times at this point you know and i walk past him he tells me to pick up my pants again and he follows it up with a statement like you know you wear your pants like them you listen to oh. their music oh like, like next thing Ooh. i know you're gonna bring one home or something like like it was whoa yes dad His, hispanic man Never heard him. I'm not even exaggerating. You know, most, most people will hear stuff like that from their parents and they put it right. in the back of the head. They're like, oh, that's just dad being dad. He's never at this point said anything like that. Okay. Okay. So I swing around and I'm like, what? I said, first of all, I don't dress a color. Okay. Second of all, I'm going to bring home whoever I fall in love with, whether they're white, black, and I didn't even get out my next sentence out. And he slaps me in the face. Wow. I'm telling you, I'm like, and I can't remember what I said exactly, but I, along the lines, I've called him a racist or something like that. And yeah. I take off running. He takes off chasing me. 
crying and he's like, you don't understand. I just want what's best for you, which is coded in itself. Um, and like crying and, and, and I don't understand why, why you don't get where I'm coming from. And, and oh, I want geez. you to just marry somebody and be happy, but marry somebody Jewish. And it was just this whole layered thing. Never has he said anything since or prior, like I said, but it was very deep. My point is I still dated who the fuck I wanted to. And, mm -hmm. and if I knew this was his philosophy and I, which I did when I went to prom, I went to prom with, as I mentioned in the last episode, a black Dominican girl. Didn't and, I, and I went to prom with a span, half Spanish, half Italian guy. There you go. So yeah, you know, um, but I what love how we is, live parallel lives. We like, were I living like parallel <laughs> lives. And, I mean, Queens is the most racially diverse place on the planet. So how could we not? Right. Exactly. But, to the point is when he because of that reaction and interaction when it came time for prom he wasn't there like mm. i didn't even tell him i was going to prom i didn't even invite him for pictures like none of that so i my mom was there she was she came with me to suffolk boulevard in queens to where the girl lived and we took pictures there and that's the life i mean when you that's what the situation with interracial dating versus inter my I have so many layers of issues with it. I and I, mm -hmm. I I'm an advocate for it. I've dated everybody under the rainbow for my entire life. Literally, there's not a race, ethnicity that I probably haven't dated. Even when you talk about I've dated Asian, I don't even just say Asian anymore. I dated Chinese, Philippine, Thai, Japanese, Korean, Korean. Um, like done. I don't play like I have. That's why when somebody asks me if I have a type or have I dated a person of color, it gets me aggravated because I'm like, one, why does it matter? What if you're my first Korean I've ever dated? How is that affecting right. your, you know, I'm not going to sit there and ask. And it goes to your point, actually, and I get why it's asked. It yes. goes to your point of what you said about if you're there first or you have to be the advocate or answering questions, right? I don't think that that's your role. I don't think it's your role to be the racial Google for for your date or your friends or your coworkers. That's not your job. It's not your job to sit there and explain uh, hair or music or food, right? To your right. to your to your friends, family, coworkers, date daters. Like I, I don't agree with that philosophy. So that's why I've never been that person. I get where the question comes from, but yeah. I'm not that person. I'm not gonna be like, so tell me about the food you eat in Korea. No, if I want to know, I'll, I'll know. I'm going to ask questions that are more about the person, not the race. I'm going to ask questions. Well, tell me about what you like to eat. What is your favorite food to eat? What is your like? And if they decide to enlighten me on what their Korean food of choice is, great. If they want to tell me they love soul food, even better. So right. I don't, I don't, put people in a, in a, in a box. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like, for me, like to, to this, to this earlier point, like, I don't like to put people in a box. Like I I've dated, um, an Asian guy that's like, I, and he's Chinese. And he's like, I hate Chinese food. Like, <laughs> and that's just straight up. And he, the way, yep. what he cooks is mostly American. He'll, he'll flip it up and, and make Thai food. He'll, you know, he'll, he makes a mean cornbread. I'll tell you that much. Um, but he's like, I don't like Chinese food. I grew up with it. I now have a distaste for it, you know, for me. He's yeah. like, I need to expand my palate. That's just him. I think when it becomes important is the traditions in which influenced your childhood, right? right? Because when you're in the household, 
most of the time, it's like your first experiences are obviously with your parents or with your parent or whoever is serving as a parent in your life. And they are weaving in traditions that stem back to their race or their culture or something to that effect. So for me, that's why I kind of ask and, and that's, that's just educates me. I do remember I dated, a, I dated a Jewish guy. I want to say it was maybe about three years ago, three years ago. And he was, he was doing very well for himself. Um, he's, he was a teacher, still is. And he was, in my opinion, wanting to like, kind of like set things very quickly in stone. He was like, <laughs> and I was like, and not say I'm a commitment foe by any means. I am not, but you know, if I feel it, I'm all in. If I'm kind of like, let's see how this goes. I, I need time. I need time to catch up. So on day two, I met his friends, right? Right. All 20 of them at like this random outing. And for me, I did wow. not see one person that was not white there. And I was like, okay, that gives me a little bit of understanding. Okay, his friend, most of his friends are white. Okay, understood that. Okay, cool. So on date four or five, he asked me to be a date at this wedding where his parents were going to be in attendance. And I didn't want to say no, but I was like, well, you know, ask your friend if I can go, I guess. He was like, yeah, it's it's next week. I already said I'm going to be, you know, not bringing anyone, but let me see if I can pull some strings. He didn't pull the strings, thank God, because that would have been kind of awkward. But the following morning, he said that I want to introduce you to my best friend's parents who are like my parents. And I said to him, I was like, okay, I'll go. And again, I was in, I was, I walked into the room. I was the only person of color there. Right. And I felt like at the time I really had to tap dance a little bit, slightly. There was like a little racial tap dance because in my mind, and again, I know exactly what you're going to say. You had to say the best of what qualities are about you in order to feel like you're even on the same level playing field in their eyes that you couldn't talk about just eating the uh, beef patty in Brooklyn. You have to talk about, oh, I went to have sushi at, at Le Bon Monchier's. Like you really yes. had to Amen. Um, code switch, so to speak. It's code switching, code switching. That's a perfect yeah. word. Thank you for that because I'm pretty much like, okay, I have to show off. I'm this guy's quote unquote, I guess, girlfriend, his black girlfriend. I now have to prove how significant I am and and have to be like so great in everything. Like, oh yes, I work here. Oh yes. And I do this. And oh yes, I do that. But it, it, you know what? To be very honest with you, it could have been all in my mind. I could have made the whole shit up at the end of the day. Like it, it could have just been me walking to a room and not taking the right assessment. And no. then felt like I had to put on. So you're, you're, look, this is, and you know me, Jen. I, I can literally you. talk about this topic for the next hour because yeah. it isn't all in your mind. And I'll tell you why. Okay. What I, you felt from my experience with friends and conversations, it's an experience. What you were going through is exactly how Black Americans feel every day when they're the only person in the room whether it's in yes. the office, whether it's with their friends, whether it's with their significant other. Especially, I would definitely say more when it comes to the workplace yeah. than anything. I And I feel that too. Like, for example, uh, we spoke on our second episode about our, our identity. And yep. I spoke about like my name. Like if you see my full name, it's Jennifer Nicole Myers. And the way, if you hear me on the phone, you don't think, oh, this is a black girl that I'm speaking to. Right. So anytime I go in for like 
an in-person interview, I get like the wide eye, like, oh, you're Jennifer. Yep. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. Or, so it gets so much deeper than just these surface things that we're talking about right now. And that's why right. it could be a long conversation. So what you felt that day, it wasn't all in your head because that's exactly how society is programmed that you entering that room have to answer for black America. Mm -hmm. As you're not longer an individual, you're a race. You walk into that room, how you act is a representation of how black women are in general. The same way if right. a black person commits a crime, it is not an individual who commits that crime, it's a race that commits that crime comparatively to a white individual who walks into a room on a date with a, in a black family. They, myself, as a white man, I've never walked in while meeting the family members of somebody I was dating and felt like I had to answer or I was mm -hmm. under a microscope for the behaviors and actions of white America. Pause for a moment until right. Donald Trump got elected because everything has <laughs> shifted completely. Because now- And black people are like, yes! Oh, 100%. Even when I travel <laughs> outside of the United States, I have to answer for Americans. So it's it's like because of Donald Trump- And I'm not just Trump, about black people. I'm talking about Hispanic people, Asian, we're like, yes. finally! To completely contradict my earlier point, oh my God, I just thought about this. Being white in that conversation where I walk into a room of if I'm dating a black woman and meet her family, I don't mm -hmm. have to answer for white America. Like I said, we're, we're individuals. Right. If I was pre-introduced as being Jewish, though, different story. Jews mm. are a minority in the eyes of everybody in America. So we have to now I have to answer for how Jews behave across the board, whether they're super religious Hasidics or whether they're reforms or whether they live in Israel or, or whether whatever God wants to say, they, I right. get all the questions. I've had all the questions from people, the most ridiculous, nasty stereotypes about Jews that I'm not even going to repeat on, but it's immediately, I'm, oh, mm. you're Jewish? Oh, do you, know, do you know Jaime? No, I don't. Oh, and do you have sex through sheets? No, we don't. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's crazy. <laughs> right. But I want to play devil's advocate for a moment on the whole interracial dating thing. Um, yes. Because first, there's so many layers. The, number one, I want to break down the fact that we need to stop classifying Latino or Latinx and Hispanics as a race. They're not a race. It's an ethnicity. So Correct. The way I can even explain that to the, to the listeners, and, and if you think about this, so Latin means that you come from Latin America. Mm -hmm. Hispanic yep. means you speak Spanish. So how does that break down to make it easier to understand? People from Brazil are Latin because they're from South America. They're from Latin America. So they're Correct. considered Latin. They're not considered Hispanic because they speak Portuguese. Conversely, people from Spain who speak mm -hmm. Spanish are considered Hispanic but they're not considered Latin. So they're two different things. On top of the levels, you can go to Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, anywhere in any Latin American country, and you will see people who are my complexion, and you will see people who are your complexion, Jen. So there are, that's the race within the ethnicity. So there are white Puerto Ricans and black Puerto Ricans. There yes. are the same way there's white Mexicans, darker skinned Mexicans, and so on and so forth. There's spectrums. There's so many spectrums in ethnicity and there's so many different spectrums in race. And that, and that also then feeds into what kind of traditions and cultures that you are. However, mm -hmm. I, 
we talked about this about is there a stigma for interracial dating still? Mm. I don't think there's a stigma, so to speak, culturally anymore. However, I think that internally people come with heavy baggage into the conversation. And as much as I love dating people of, of multiple ethnicities and multiple races, but there's challenges. And some of the challenges are what you mentioned. And, and it's like checklist. It's like you come from two different value systems. So that doesn't mean right. just white and black. That means it could be Asian, black, or white. So in the Asian community, they have certain value systems that they hold that white people don't. So when a white person dates somebody from Japan, there's going to be some challenges there that hopefully if love is blind, you can get over the challenges. That's where your blindness should be. It should be in right. the challenges, not in the color, right? So yeah. if you can get over those hurdles, then you can continue to date. Well, to even go back into that point, right? And I think, and I love what you said about like, if you can get over those challenges, but there also needs to be this point of like this embrace for the culture, right? Like for, for example, is... And we talked about this on the last episode is, yeah, I could, I could be dating an Asian man, right? right. I don't want to say white. I could be dating an Asian man, right? And he knows that I love hip hop and I love me some soul food and so on and so forth. By him embracing just my soul food and my hip hop doesn't mean that you're down for the culture as well. You know what I mean? Like you can't just get like that halfway card. For me, embracing me... <laughs> embracing me and seeing me and understanding that my background shapes who I am, I, I would like your views to be like, okay, if you see this black man getting ostracized and it's not right and it's based upon his race, what's your view on that? Is it something that you feel like it deems wrong by the person that's ostracizing this person of color? Or do you think like there's no, there's no problem with it? Right. Um, so I think if you're going to really date someone out of, your, out of their race or out of your race, you really have to understand and embrace them and the full culture that comes with it, right? So for the listeners, how do you do that, right? How do you right. date somebody outside of, your, outside of your race and do it the right way? Um, you just mentioned it kind of segued my brain exactly into the next point was it's the unhealthy assumptions that people bring into mm -hmm. relationships. So you mentioned if you're dating an Asian man and he knows you like soul food and he knows you like rap music, the problem that you're going to face is the stereotype that then the minute um, the baby drops another album, he's coming to you and saying, oh, the baby just dropped a new album, assuming these are the unhealthy assumptions, assuming that because it's rap music and you're black, you care about the baby dropping an album. Meanwhile, you don't even like his music. So Correct. there's that or there's a new um, Cajun jerk chicken restaurant that opened up in the hood and he knows that your father was Jamaican. So he's going to say, hey, Let's go on a date to the Jamaican restaurant. Never asked you. If and you my response Jamaican. would be, I hate spicy food, which exactly. I do. <laughs> so I think that unhealthy, and we're talking about it as a white view and a black view from you, but there's so many Correct. like cultures that deal with these unhealthy assumptions on a daily basis and it, we don't even realize it. And I'm guilty of it myself. I've had a coworker who was Indian and there was a lot of political turmoil in India. There still is right now. And every time another story happened, I would go to this person and have these conversations. And the minute those sentence would come out of my mouth, I almost felt guilty as it was coming out of my mouth because I'm like, why am I talking to the, the Indian coworker about issues in India when this person could not even know what's going on in India? So right. I've, I've also been a victim of my own privilege to be able to do that. And I have another coworker who's Korean and my boss, not me this time, but my right. boss, 
tends to always ask him about Asian culture questions or make references. Oh God. This is like a bad episode of Blackish. Like Blackish does this beautifully because and and I love the show Blackish. And for the listeners that don't know, I mean it's in like in their eighth season at this point, but it's a family that is doing well. They are black and the lead who's played by Anthony Anderson, um, he is in advertising and he's probably like a handful of black people that work in advertising and they always ask him questions that relate to his blackness and yep. he and they make a comedy out of it because it happens in real life more yes. often than not it you happens know? We, we just poke fun we just poke fun at it in a good way and as a black person jen i'm sure you get questions all the time and it's and and it could be coming from an innocent place. Somebody's asking about weaves or somebody's asking about wigs or somebody yeah. asks you about, what do you think about the Fenty line or, or whatever, these are coded microaggression questions that people only ask to you. And again, you're not the racial Google for white America. And I think that's the challenge. And that's, yeah. that's. I mean, I appreciate, I, it, I guess it depends on the, the relationship I have with with my coworker or my friends, right? right? And if I know that they're coming from a place of wanting to just understand and be educated, I am all for breaking it down. I will break it down all the way for them. But how many times? How many times until it's too much? So I guess it just depends on the person, right? It depends on the person, depends on their, their feelings on things or... Or are they just doing it to insult and put you on this like display of like, look what cool question I asked the black girl today, you know? And you're just like, I don't know when the Nikes drop. I haven't bought Nikes in like seven years. I don't know when the next sneaker drop is going to be, you know, yeah. why are you coming to me with this? So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of those things that not just happen in our dating world, but it also happens in workplaces, more often in workplaces than not. Friendships, not so much. But um, definitely, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with you on that with the friendships part because, and I understand you're being nice, and we already know Jen is super nice and, and wanting to. <laughs> no, you are. You you want you you enjoy educating and 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 bringing people a reality check uh, or an understanding, not a reality check, an understanding of of life. Right. I have other black friends who are tired of it. They're just like they do not want to be the voice for black people anymore. They're tired of mm. it. They're at a point where, no, I, if another black person gets shot by a cop, I don't, I don't want to keep having these conversations, my friend tells me. And my friend Chris, she's tired of being the voice to have to explain why it's wrong to shoot an unarmed black man. You know, mm -hmm. and, and th th these are the harsher issues. Or to your point about weaves, the weave question could come from an innocent place, but the follow-up question is, they, you know they want to touch your hair. They, they want to touch it. Yeah. So, so, and that, and I would say that that is like the number one, like, no, no, no. Well, you shouldn't be touching anyone's hair. I don't care if you're black, white, Spanish. You shouldn't be touching anybody's hair. I mean, I would definitely say like, even when I was in relationships and I don't care if the man that I was dating or seeing was white, black or Spanish, you don't stroke the girls. You don't stroke my hair. We don't need to go there. We don't need to touch my tracks. You know what I mean? It's not an aphrodisiac for me. It's not like a way of petting me like a dog. You know, just don't touch my hair. You can touch my face. You can kiss on me all day. You can love me how you want to love me. Just don't touch the mane. Just don't touch the mane. But you mentioned about even in relationships, right? And, and, and having these conversations in relationships. I read a great article by this person. Um, her name was Collier Meyerson, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a black woman. 
she wrote an article and like it was a long time ago it was like 2017 in the cut and it was really interesting because she mentioned and she talked about ever since high school and in most of her life growing up she dated mostly white men hmm. and it's because once she got into high school and even into college, she was a lot of times the only black woman in the room, right? Right. She even mentioned the, your earlier point on dates being the only black woman with all the white friends and how the white boyfriend at the time made it even worse because made her feel like she was wrong for pointing out that to him. Anyway, mm. so this person, uh, Collier's article, she was mentioning how once Trump got elected, and similar to what I said, everything changed. Right. And how it changed for her is, and it was really interesting because I never thought of it this way. Uh, and you tell me your thoughts. She said that mm -hmm. it changed for her as a black woman because in relationships, there are certain expectations you have with the person you're dating. You want that person, you want to be able to come home to that person and have a sense of comfort a sense yes. of uh, compassion. You want to be able to express your deepest thoughts and express what hurts you or gives you heartache. Or You just want you, to be yourself, your authentic self. With yeah, that but you person. also want that person to, to be that, that rock for you, guy or girl, right? You want uh, that person to, what's most important for me is to want to date somebody who actually can be empathetic to you and your life and the trouble that you have within your life, whether it's work, career, every day just walking home or going on a train. You don't want to date somebody with sympathy. So what she realized is that when there were certain things after Trump got elected, whether it was Black Lives Matter, whether it was like rallies or, or the alt-right or people marching with Nazi flags with the, the name Trump on it or, or issues with Colin Kaepernick or questions about hair or work discrimination or diversity in the workplace, she felt like she would have these moments where she just wanted to unload on her person that she was in love with mm. and have that person come from a similar place or mentality or understanding. And I'll give you a quote that she said in her, in her article. She yeah. said, the night Trump was elected, I wanted to be comforted, but I wanted to be by someone who had an inkling of the anxiety I felt for my family, my loved ones, and for myself. Mm. And that to me, I get it. And I get me being a white male in this environment on surface and the women I date, they don't know what goes on in my head. These are the things you find out when dating. But right. on surface, I can get and understand in today's political climate, in, the, in society's climate, why a black woman would not want to date me. Hmm. And I think, and and I and I think to your point. I, I mean, I love what you said, and I love what her quote was too, because I think to date someone outside of your race, especially when you have such like a big occurrence like that, like, and I say when when Trump got elected as president, like I felt it as a black woman, but I think also around the nation, the majority of people were like, oh shit. It was an oh shit moment. It, and, I, and I slept with a very, very heavy heart. And the person that I, that I spoke to on the phone was my friend, Phil, who was a black person. He was my first phone call. I was like, Phil, what are we going to do? You know, <laughs> I was like, what are we going to do, my brother? I don't know. And because through his election, and again, unbeknownst to me, and this is going to be coming from a point of how I see interracial relationships play out and how they do play out in different parts of the world that was unbeknownst to me because we live in New York, which is a very diverse state. Yes. Trump, for me, 
kind of gave people like racists, like people that were kind of dormant. Because a lot of those folks were kind of dormant during Obama's era, right? They were very much like, you know, they, these closeted racists or racism wasn't at like the highest peak that it is now. And I think when you had Trump come into office, he was kind of saying, yeah, I kind of root for these people or I can understand where they're coming yeah. from. So now I've given these folks a platform and I was like, whoa, I didn't realize how divisive we really were in this own country. Now, for example, like I, I remember a, a, a white guy that I was dating. He was like, hey, let's go to Colorado. And I was like, <laughs> you're like, no, uh, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> and I was like, did you see Green Book? No, thanks. Right, right, exactly. And I was like, okay, I was like, this is prior to the legalization of weed. So why am I going there? No, so no, no, I'm pun intended. But you're like sketch, uh, not happening. Sketch, right. And I said to him, what part Denver? Because I'm thinking in Colorado, Denver is probably the only spot that I know that maybe has some culture to it. And he says, no, Colorado Springs. What? And I said, nah. <laughs> Nah, just because I, I knew that he accepted me and, ex and he was fully into the culture and, and all of that stuff. Like he's met my, my friends, but I was afraid for the looks that we would get in Colorado as an interracial couple. And I didn't want that because if we're in any parts that are kind of living back in like the early 1900s where they still feel like people should be segregated based upon their race... I didn't want that to ruin our trip or that to be a threat or that to even be a discussion that we needed to have at that night. So I politely said no, but it also opened my eyes to think that, hey, we live in New York, people are accepting, but there are other parts in the, even in our own country that are not as accepting. There's parts in our entire world that still live in this ass backwards um, idea that you should only date in your race. Well, your story about Colorado and, and the fact that you declined to go says more about you than than it does about the gentleman. Correct. And what I mean, what I mean is, you knew that there could be a situation, and it's almost like you were looking out for him, where he was put in an uncomfortable or a situation where he had to not choose you over white people, but there's the situations where you're challenged. And an interracial mm -hmm. couple will be challenged. There are those moments. You don't have to be a middle American. It could happen in New York where um, you're driving in the car with your boo and Wu-Tang Clan is on and he wants to sing along. And there's the N-word. And mm -hmm. the question comes up, which he, he might or might not turn to you and ask, hey, is it okay if I sing the N-word in this song? I'm just singing along, right? Or even worse, you're in a situation where, to your point, when you were out and you're the only black person in a room full of white friends, right? And one of the friends makes an uncomfortable racist joke. The person you're dating is now in that circumstance where they have to turn to you and say, oh, Johnny's, you know, he's, he doesn't really mean that. Or he has to now confront his friend. Right. He might have just laughed it off whether he agreed with it or not. So interracial dating does have its pitfalls if the people are not secure in who they are. Exactly. And why they're in that relationship. Are they in it because they're moonlighting again in, in a culture? Are they in it because they're dipping their toe into a fetish that they haven't experienced? Are they in it because they're dating 
a preferred race or are they in it because they truly love that person and mm-hmm. they would go to bat for them regardless of who they are. And yeah. that's how I've been. I, and that's why I date who I date and why I date. I date white people. My last girlfriend, she was white. Uh, I date. I did everything, like I said, but everybody I date, hands down, I'm going to bat for. Like I'm throwing down. Like there's never going to be a moment where a friend, family, whatever will run their mouth in front of that person to make them Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable. Because if I'm friends with that person for 20 years and you're going to disrespect even a stranger with some racist shit, guaranteed I'm going to stick up for for that person. And I think, and what I do love is, you know, with the marriage of Meghan Markle, with Cameron and Lauren being on television and on the number one radio show on Netflix, I think it is exposing a lot more people to how beautiful an interracial relationship can be, how love is breaking barriers all throughout. And I think there's, there's this kind of coming around the corner that now they're deeming this as the norm. And, you know, there was a recent study that just came out that says the number of interracial married couples rose from 7.4% to now 10.2% between 2000 and 2016. And I also remember there was this great cover on the cover of time. I have to say, this was probably three years ago to say, what is going to be the average what does the average human look like in the year 2050? Yeah, I saw that. Yes. And I it did was see a bi- that. And it was a biracial girl. She had right. curly hair with green eyes. She was biracial. That's what they said that the average American will look like in 2050. There's this adoption that's happening. I, I, I definitely believe it. And I think the more that we expose the goodness and how interracial couples can be, you know, they're blending families, like just blending the family. Do it. Just doing that is, is a lot, right? Blending I love it. the family. And I think the more people open their eyes to it, the more that they could adopt this acceptance. I love when we're kind of putting that on the spotlight. And, you know, who knows? My, my husband, my future husband could be white. He could be Hispanic. He could be. Who knows? He, he could be anything. He could be anything. But what's more important to me is like, do I show up to him and do, am I seen? Am I heard? Am I valued? Am I fully embraced yes. for all that I am? Not just as a, not just as a black person, but as a woman, as a professional, as, yes. as someone that values family, as someone that is, um, you know, trying to be an entrepreneur out here and have the drive. Like, do you value me as a whole? If you're going to, if you're going to have me have all of me. It's the simplest form of love, right? You want right. somebody to love you for all of you. You want somebody to love you for the good, the bad. It's like that marriage vows, right? It's in sickness and health to death us part, but there should be adding the other stuff to that too. White or black and your culture and your crazy mother and the spicy food that you like to cook. And, and right. it's across the board. So it's, it's an exact point that you make. I think the challenge in summary, I love to date and mix and blend and dip my toe into the rainbow I think everybody should love it the same way. Yeah. I would love to get to a point in this world, whether it's 2030 or whether it's 2050, where we are a blended America and mm-hmm. people feel comfortable falling in love with somebody for who they are and then accepting them for who they are with all the shit and baggage that comes with them. Yes. And I think the challenge is like, what are people's definition of beauty, right? In the sense of like seeing an interracial couple or seeing, or even just 
interacting with someone that's outside of your race in the workplace? Or how do you address your friends that are out of your culture, or out of your race as well? There, there needs to kind of be this understanding. There needs to be this worldliness that needs to happen. There needs to be sort of this look at it to say, I'm just because I feel this way and, and other white people feel this way doesn't necessarily mean like my Asian friend feels this way. Yes. You know, let me get, let me get his take on it or her take on it and so on and so forth. And that's how you expand your thinking. And I think again, once you continue to kind of live in this box, of like, well, my culture feels this way and I'm going to adopt it and I don't give a shit about what anyone else says outside their culture, then it becomes, now you, you're adopting this idea of being divisive, right? So so with adoption and, and elevation and change, right? The challenge is um, internal, not external. The challenge mm-hmm. is being able to understand that it's humanity that you're fighting for, right? What are you fighting for? It's humanity. Um, makes me think of a quote from Malcolm X, actually. And he says that when you are dealing with humanity as a family, there's no question of integration or intermarriage. It's just Mm. one human being marrying another human being, living around and with another human being. So he understood that when you're talking about the family unit, so if the family unit is love, then... Exactly. And I think too, like, I also think about my, my friends that are in, are in interracial relationships and I, and some of which have kids. And those are some interesting dialogues that they need to have with their children because they're not growing up predominantly one race. They are growing up as two different races, like yourself, right? Or, uh, or any other many friends of mine. You, you have to just say, okay, well, let me explain to you the two cultures that came to shape you. Yes. Um, and then allow your son or your daughter or your child to say, okay, this is what I take to a little bit more. This is what I don't take to a little bit more. And accepting, embracing all of that as well. Even as parents, like I'm not a parent, but you know, I'm going to help hopefully raise my children to say, okay, these are what both of our cultures combine with myself and your husband. This is how we grew up. These are our traditions. These are our things. But make a decision for your own on who you want to be and what you want to identify with. You are all black, all right, or racial, whatever the case may be. I'm going to raise you like that. But at the end of the day, you, when you come to a certain age, you make that decision on what you take to and what you don't. So I, I think that's also, I commend the parents out there that are, that are doing their best to try to shape yep. their children and drive home the importance of culture and value, but also to adopt a sense of worldliness and to adopt a sense of acceptance and embrace for anyone that's outside of your race. But the value in what you're saying, those people and those friends of yours, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and I don't know them, but I'm sure have a good sense of who they are culturally and what they bring to the family unit and being able to then communicate that culture of what made them to be able to continue that conversation forward. So for me, for example, I know who I am. I'm fully confident in who I am. I'm fully confident (laughs) in the knowledge I have of my culture and history and what I bring to the table. I know that I'm a white male with a certain level of privilege. I think that what ends up happening, because I know all this, I can get into a relationship with a certain sense of confidence to know mm-hmm. that being like a male feminist is a lot like being a white ally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about making myself feel better, becoming this white savior, but I do it 
and I act the way I am and I, I am who I am because I believe that equality, when it exists, it moves the conversation forward. And, Absolutely. And that's why I date who I date. I date everyone. I have no preference, no type. And I have the same with my friends. I approach friendships the same way I, I approach love interests. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to seek out certain people to be friends with, and I'm not going to seek out certain cultures or, or races to be intimate with. The only people that you are forced to be around are the family that you're born into. And exactly. that's it. That's it. So Danny, talking about interracial relationships, loving yep. the person, embracing all that he or she is, which brings us to one of my favorite segments, the death sentence. So Danny, my trusted co-host. Yes, yes, yes. I think... What you um, got for us, playa? <laughs> <laughs> well, we covered a lot in this episode and one of the ongoing themes was seeing the person who for who they are and mm -hmm. not the race or the ethnicity that they are therefore for this week's death sentence i want to kill the term i don't see color <laughs> goodbye this phrase is a joke i mean come on who are you kidding you're not being real you're not being woke, you're not living in this post-racial world nonsense bullshit, okay? What a feminist say, or a non-sexist say, they show their support by saying, I don't see gender. Would a person who supports the LGBTQ community say, oh, I don't see sexual identity? No, they wouldn't. They would be confident in who they are and who they support and see the person for what they bring to the table. They wouldn't ignore their reality. It just shows more about your own privilege that it affords you the ability to compartmentalize racism because it doesn't affect you. I mean, let's be honest, right? Do you mm -hmm. not see color when describing the people at the border? Knowing right. you fully mean the Southern border when you're talking about immigration, not the Northern border? Yeah. Do you see color when you're talking to your city friends and asking them if they live in a good neighborhood? Come on. We know you see color. It's not making you sound more cool. When you drive through a certain inner city hood, you're not like, oh, I don't see color. The next time, instead of saying, I don't see color, say, I see you and recognize my privilege. And I would like to understand more about how you feel about blank. So this week and forever, do not have off your lips saying, I don't see color. See the color, see the person, see who they are and stop the bullshit. I don't see color, you're done. You're Dead. vanished, excommunicated, excommunicado. I don't see color. We don't wanna hear from you again. I don't wanna see you. I see you, but I don't want to see. I don't see color. Period. End of story. Benito. Hey guys, welcome to our fifth edition of our wonderful ground down guided meditation. We talked a lot about interracial relationships as they pertain to loving relationships and couple dome as well as friendships and work relationships. 
And we have over 7.5 billion people in the entire world speaking over 300 languages, making up 270 different nationalities. And while there's so many different people in the world, there's so many different languages being spoken, so many cultures that are existing in our world. I think what we can all accept is that we are all human in our own race and that we need to embrace one another, not for our commonalities, but as well as our differences. So sit up nice and tall and close your eyes. Lengthen through the crown of the head. Roll the shoulders back. And maybe you place a hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. And as you are taking a couple deep inhales, deep exhales, maybe you start to think about all the things that make up who you are, your culture, your traditions, your religion. And the one thing that we can all agree with is that we are all searching for and longing for the same things in life. We're longing to be seen. We are longing to be heard. We are longing to be understood and embraced. And while we all do have our differences, in order to truly embrace one another, we have to adopt an open mind, an open heart, and an open spirit. Take another deep inhale through the nose, allowing people the space and the energy to be fully seen, to be fully heard, and to be fully embraced. Now as you take a couple of deep inhales, deep exhales, maybe start to wiggle the fingers, wiggle the toes, bring some gentle awareness back into the breath, back into the body. And in your own time, open your eyes. I thank you all for joining me for this ground down meditation. And we look forward to bring you another guided meditation next week, along with a new episode. Thank you so much.